And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, February 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. If you're paying close attention on episode one of Pitcher Week, we Made it pretty clear there was probably going to be an extra episode this week. Well, today is that extra episode. Bonus. As we, yeah, it's a bonus. We're, we're focusing on pitchers going in the 100 to 200 overall range based on the NFBC's ADP. A ton of interesting arms in this group. Really only two tiers worth of pitchers. They're just two very large tiers full of guys that everybody, I think, wants to think and talk about. So uh, lots of ways you can play it. You could try and start building a rotation from this group, which I have done, and I am not here to recommend to everyone, but we'll explain how and why I did it over the course of this episode. Don't do as I do. Do as I say. So <laughs> I say to my kids all the time. Don't, yeah, don't, don't watch <laughs> what I'm doing and copy that. Do the opposite of what I do. Learn from me. Learn from my mistakes, because I will continue to make them. <laughs> it's good, good blanket advice. So we're going to pick up where we left off on the last episode. This is like tier five, I guess, technically, but more importantly, right outside the top 100 overall where Blake Snell is currently going in terms of ADP. Uh, really kind of a tale of two seasons. In the second half, he shortened up the arsenal and got things back on track, sort of saved himself from a disaster. Walk rate for the year was still very high. We know walks are generally going to be a part of the profile with Blake Snell, 12.5% was the walk rate, though, last season. Ruben Niebla is there as the new pitching coach. There's some optimism about the Padres pitching in general as a result of that. Plus, we're talking about a guy who's had a lot of success in the not-so-distant past. So are you in on Blake Snell as someone who might be a tick undervalued? Previously had some SP1 sort of results and gets treated more like a late two, early three at this point. Yeah, no, I like him a lot. Uh, I just pushed him into the top 40 uh, ahead of Luis Castillo, which he featured prominently in our first episode. Um, One of the reasons I have that is because uh, Snell is more your prototypical modern pitcher. His fastball with ride, good breaking ball, great strikeout rate, uh, not great command. But uh, a lot of that was tied into the changeup usage. What you saw... In the last five starts was he tanked the changeup, got rid of the changeup. As you said, he slimmed his arsenal. And you saw immediately in the numbers uh, a different Snell emerge. Uh, For the year, he had a 102 stuff plus. But in the last five starts, when he got rid of the changeup, he had a 110 stuff plus. And uh, in terms of location, like, yes, he doesn't have great command, but he can command the slider a lot better than he can command that changeup. I don't know why he loves it so much. He uh, made the right decision eventually, and even his location was average in the last five starts. If you take a guy who has 110 stuff plus and uh, average location in a good park, uh, then you start comping somebody uh, like you, Darvish, uh, who I have ranked ahead of him. 
Um, who else? Maybe like a Shohei Otani, uh, even a Charlie Morton. Uh, that's where you start living if you if you're actually in a 110 uh, with average command. So, um, you know, those are all guys that uh, have good breaking balls and and uh, you know in and out command, but good parks and uh, or at least neutralish parks and. Uh, so I think Snell is a guy that is one of those rarities where uh, it's a decent price and there's upside still in there, which is what if he's that guy all year? I think the biggest question for me comes back to health. I mean, even in his great season in 2018, the sub two ERA, sub one whip, 221 Ks, he did that in 180 and two thirds innings. So that was a relatively small workload for what he accomplished that year in the years since 107 in 2019 50 innings of course in the shortened season so you can't really knock him for that and then 128 mm-hmm. and two-thirds during his first year with the Padres so we, we definitely have a workload concern as it pertains to Snell from more of a health perspective I think from a how they use him perspective even though they've got a deep bullpen I'm not worried about him being someone who's like frequently dive. getting the, the quick hook by design no, but I, I think the injury thing is really interesting. We had a question on Twitter about um, have these been, uh, you know, means tested in the same way as uh, projections? And I would say not really. Uh, and they probably wouldn't perform as well as as regular projections uh, because injury projections, there's so much that goes into it. And uh, we don't have access to the information that gives you that kind of granularity that you might uh, need to make a really good comp in terms of like what exactly was wrong. Uh, for example, someone shared with me a piece, a, a, a listener shared with me a piece uh, about Shane Bieber uh, from the excellent uh, Dr. Nick Savali uh, about uh, how Shane Bieber's specific injury uh, was not one to necessarily worry about as much. Uh, that it sounds bad because it says shoulder in it, but it's really uh, the subscap I think he was talking about, and it's something... Uh, that isn't it's not like a, a you know a rotator cuff labrum type injury it's a, a muscle injury uh, that's painful but uh, should have good recovery uh, status to it so I, I I'm thinking about moving Bieber up but without that granularity we're kind of reaching in the dark a lot of these times uh, when we do these projections however I'm using them anyway uh, as a bit of a guide and here's my um, how do you say, uh, comparison to hitters. So if hitters, you kind of want to protect your batting average, you know, over the course of your draft, because it allows you, like we've said, more options later. You can, there's more things you can do later. Uh, and batting average is a tough thing to, to, to protect, you know, in today's league, you know, it, the batting average just goes down and down and down. So, you know, it's hard to kind of protect a 270 batting average as hard as that sounds, as crazy as that sounds. In the same way, I think injury in pitchers is kind of the same thing. You'd think you'd expect like maybe ERA or something. No, I think you, it's easier to project ERA. Uh, what I'm thinking is if you take an injury risk early, and here again, learn from my mistakes uh, in this DC <laughs> I'm in, I took Carlos Rodon as my second. It's mostly because of some stuff that happened with Alonzo falling too far, I thought, um, and people sniping me on guys like Shane McClanahan, other guys I would have rather had a second. Here's the problem with Rodon taking Rodon second. It's not about Rodon, because I think if he pitches, he'll be good. I don't I don't expect 200 innings, but 
I'm hoping uh, for 150 or 180 or something. But now I have an injury risk on my team. One of the biggest, honestly, in baseball, you know, especially at the top where I picked him. So now that I have this injury risk on my team, the next time that I want to take a pitcher, Pablo Lopez had fallen so far in my draft. And I remember texting and being like, oh, my ranks say I should take Pablo Lopez. I should take Pablo Lopez. But I can't pair Pablo Lopez with Carlos Rodon. Pablo Lopez is the second highest injury risk in my top 30, you know, or my top 40 or whatever it was. So I was just like, well, I I took Logan Gilbert. I took the fresh arm. And uh, I missed out on like 30 points of ADP that I thought Pablo Lopez had fallen so far. So that's something that you have to think of. I think you have to think about it. And if you take Jack De- Jake DeGrom first, congratulations, he's the best pitcher in baseball. But now, every subsequent pick that you're taking, you're like, ooh, can't take that guy. I already took a bunch of injury risk. Better take this guy. And it's going to affect you all the way down. So uh, it's it's just one of those things that it compounds, you know. And so now I, I keep trying to take safer picks in terms of what I think in terms of injury. But um you know, the Carlos Rodon pick has, has affected me downstream the same way. So uh, it is interesting to bring that up with Snow because uh, I would, I would you know, his projection is middle of the road in terms of injury projection, but uh, it doesn't seem that way. You know, he seems like more of an injury risk. So I, I think this is a really important part of roster construction, even beyond pitching. And I think it's one of these areas that there's still a lot of work to be done where you know, the injury experts that focus on fantasy can help us understand the differences between the shoulder injuries. I thought that was really, really key just to understand, oh, it's actually yeah, not the labrum, not the rotator cuff. And compared to those two issues, this would be a less serious shoulder injury in the Bieber example. I think we have to start figuring out. And once your pitching rankings are available Friday. Yes. Is, is this information the people were asking, is this information going to be public facing? Is this gonna be part of the table? The injury projection? It will be. I just have it in, in rod days and we didn't, we, it's only a hundred deep because I mean, just think about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> because when you start talking about rookies and part-time and relievers, guys who were relievers last year, what are you going to do? So I do think what we have to kind of figure out is what does a a good group of pitchers from just a general risk profile position what does it look like how much risk can you take on how much how much red ink can you have in yeah. terms of injury risk which will make more sense later like how much green ink do you need to offset that how much do you need to have that balance I think you're right if you take Degrom early yeah you're not following up with you're getting the darkest Rodon of greens and, <laughs> right you're not you're not going to go with Kopex got high injury risk uh, Kershaw right or, like, like Bieber you could do a Degrom Bieber pairing maybe or Degrom Lopez you could do that one too seems right. like a bad idea so you have to be thoughtful about how you put different profiles together i think that's the the general takeaway here and i i think it gets difficult when we're talking about players that also miss time in the minor leagues where injury Mm. information might not have been relayed as accurately as it would be for players in the big leagues and that brings us to the risk that is associated with with shane mcclanahan i I wonder i wonder if that's just a big part of, of why he didn't pop on prospect lists as much as he seemingly should have for what we are seeing from him at the big league level. I've said this several times on this show. When you watch him pitch, it just makes me wonder, like, how was he not 
the best pitching prospect in baseball. Like the, the ball explodes out of his hand. The movement is filthy. The arsenal's deep. Like it, he does everything I want a pitcher to do. And I wonder if the injury risk is actually higher than I realize because of where and when those injuries have occurred. Yeah, that is also not in the model because we just don't, we have such terrible information on injuries. That's the big problem with this is we just have terrible information. We do not have minor league information. So I think people might have seen that Julio Urias had a really uh, healthy injury projection last season. They said, well, this is a guy who's had labrum surgery. Like, how could you have him, you know, green? And it was like, well, because the model just doesn't have that information, <laughs> you know? Uh, we're trying to do it. In fact, Jeff Zimmerman's doing it by hand this year, so he might be able to catch some of that on, on you know, the more prominent guys. Uh, but Shane McClanahan has a middle-of-the-road injury projection. It's a little bit better than, than uh, Blake Snell's. However, you know, where Blake Snell kind of the stuff got better in the, in the, in the, over, over the course of the season, Shane McClanahan's got worse over the course of the season. His four seam and slider lost velo and his four seam, um, and this may have affected his prospect status, his four seam does not have ideal movement. He does not have good ride on the four seam. Uh, it's about an inch less than average. Uh, it's kind of one of those tweener fastballs that has a little bit of wiggle um, and a little bit of ride, but not enough in either direction. The stuff model doesn't really love it, even with the high velo. So um, I really struggle to put him because uh, you know the full year the full year numbers from the model love Shane McClanahan, and I should push him and push him. And I, I think you have a note here. What does the note say? Oh, the Shane McClanahan note just says. Mm-hmm. I need to pump the brakes on my hype for this <laughs> That's guy. That's how I feel, yeah. <laughs> like, I've got him in the top 12 right now, and it just feels, that feels too aggressive for a guy that fell off and, you know, maybe has some injury risk that's not being caught by the model. And, um, you know, there's some, you know, right now he's 15. I just, he could be anywhere from 15 to 25 right now when, when these things go up on Friday. In fact, I kind of like doing these podcasts like before the ranks come out because you're helping me kind of, it's like a little bit of another means test where it's like, not only am I drafting with these, but I'm also talking to Derek and <laughs> he's helping me pump the brakes on Shane McClanahan. It's like the guy that has to be on the sidelines in like football just to keep the head coach or the people on the sidelines from getting on the field. You need a get back guy. Like I, <laughs> having that role. I'm like, no, just stay, stay back here. Don't, don't get a penalty for walking out on the field. That's more or less what we're doing here. I, I think the price for McClanahan, like where he's going in ADP, is fair for the range of outcomes. I think what I have to accept is that there's a wider range of outcomes for him, both in terms of ratios and in terms of volume, than I want to believe. That's that's where I'm getting into trouble. I have him 26th among starting pitchers. I still have him high compared to where the market has him. So you him. have him uh, under Justin Verlander. I had Verlander behind McClanahan previously, but I think if you said pick one right now and they're going right around the same time, I would take Verlander. <laughs> are, are you uh, are you on board with that? That's okay if you're not. I I would love to hear your your case for McClanahan. Right now, uh, I just pushed McClanahan uh, to right below uh, Verlander at 19. Uh, it's it's more in line with ADP. And and but sandwich between the Shohei Otani, who I just don't I don't know how to uh, rank for other reasons. <laughs> I mean, he's also a hitter. Anyway, uh, we are both love McClanahan and probably the best out of any of these guys in this tier. Okay, fair assessment. Now, right next to him, Carlos Rodon, 
the ceiling is a lot higher than I thought it was. I, I thought I thought because of the long term health issues that he's dealt with, that he just wasn't the guy that he was early in his career anymore. And he proved all of us wrong. Anyone who thought that, I think the results last year were incredible. I think I have a hard time shaking off all of the cumulative wear and tear on his arm that kept me from even taking a flyer on him a year ago. I mean, he was free in drafts last year, and I just thought he was so hurt that it didn't matter. And... I guess the question is pretty simple in this case. Where do we go from here, both in terms of workload and in terms of of output? I mean, the strikeout rate was off the charts good. 185 Ks and 132 and two-thirds innings. A 237 ERA, a .96 whip. He never had put all the pieces together earlier in his career, despite having the talent. Uh, I, I don't I think it was... I think it was hard to watch Rodon early in his career and say, well, this is it. This is all this guy really is with this arsenal. So this breakout happens after all these injuries. And even with it, he missed more time. I, I'm stumped on Carlos Rodon. Like I, I, I think you can justify him at ADP right now. And I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing to say, great. If he does it again, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for all of us who get to watch him. But I just, I can't talk myself into even three quarters of a season workload wise. And I can't tuck myself into ratios that look anything like what he did in his amazing 2021 season. I don't know, man. I mean, the whole way, the whole reason this, uh, you know, created this stuff plus model is to move faster and to, to capture stuff like this. And, you know, he absolutely, at least for the full season shoved when it comes to, you know, stuff, you know, showed a great improvement in the stuff. Uh, he has, you know, the story to back it up in terms of, you know, the kind of mechanical adjustments he made and the velo tells a good story. And, you know, the, the I think uh, I absolutely believe in his production when he's on the field. Uh, to me, it's just an injury risk and uh, not a, a production risk. You've got him with elevated missed time, 36.6 days projected on the IL, which is comparable to Logan Webb. I think in my mind, Logan one Webb is safer. One of the bigger ones in the top 30, though. Yeah, one of the bigger ones in the top 30. But I, I think this is why quantifying in mind, injury risk is... In your, yeah, yeah, that's I why mean, quantifying it's, it's so important because I think we, we, make these, we make these leaps. So we, we assume like, well, shoulder problems Webb are, are missed chronic. missed time with shoulder injury last year. Right. That should scare me more than shoulder injuries from prior to last year by comparison. Well, Rodon, yeah. I mean, was it shoulder? Was it elbow? I think he was both shoulder, at right? some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's the, 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 the history beyond, uh, is why Webb's, uh, is a little bit lower, like a day lower. And that sounds silly. <laughs> He's productive or stupid, uh, you know, but it's, it's all relative, right? <laughs> it's, it's, we're not talking about, you know, Webb is missing one day more than Rodon this coming season. It's just that he's, you know, less, a little bit less injury risk than Rodon. The five-year injury log inside the baseball forecaster, oh it, it is troubling. It's tr- when you use all five lines as a player, <laughs> not great. Carlos Rodon, bursitis in his left biceps, left shoulder inflammation, surgery on his left shoulder, left elbow inflammation, sore left shoulder, left shoulder fatigue. That's the five-year injury log. Yeah. The word shoulder appears there four times. Ooh. That's not great. I also know uh, at least a couple teams that 
want to sign him when they can. And they're, they're excited to sign him. See, and this is the funny thing about fantasy too. It's like they're excited to sign him on a two or three year deal because they think, you know, he's made maybe the best or you know, sort of second best stuff because there was Max Scherzer on the market, but second best stuff on the market, right? So they're, but they can only get him for three years and and not like a 40 million for one like Scherzer or whatever. So it's like, you know, uh, uh, the, the excitement should be there for fantasy because we're not, we're not, you know, putting, we're not, we're not signing him to a 10 year deal. This isn't dynasty we're talking about. Right. In dynasty, I wouldn't, you know, if you had to extend Rodon or you were going to trade for him, like, you know, he obviously has a lower price because of this. So that's why it's like, I think of someone like uh, Zach Wheeler and the contract he got a couple of years ago and the injury risk that he had prior to getting that deal. Teams are excited to get Rodon because if it's three for, 60 that's not six for 140 right like, that's a but shouldn't we have difference. a similar mindset other than the managing risk that i talked about earlier i know i'm sort of like talking out both sides of my mouth a little bit there's a lot here because in in some leagues most leagues you can replace them right most leagues are not draft champions leagues they're not draft and hold leagues so if he right. gets hurt you can replace them you can drop them you can pick up somebody else it's not the end of the world and if you believe in the performance if you look at the optimistic projections. If you look at faster moving information, 309 for an ERA, 108 whip. Where are you getting that with well over a strikeout running? Where are you getting that with 12 Ks per nine in this range? Usually from young guys that have injury risks or innings risk. Or haven't established themselves, yeah. So there is a part of this where you say, maybe you should take on the risk. Have you taken on risk prior to this point? Have you either waited on pitching or have you just been uh, maybe going the safer route with guys that generally haven't broken down to that point? In that case, maybe you can afford it. I paired him with Sandy Alcantara. It was like, well, you know, I think Sandy Alcantara has fairly good, you know, clean bill of health. There's a good pairing. But like I said, it still affects you going forward. So I don't have an easy answer for you, but I think that in leagues where you can replace him, uh, he's 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 a really decent, especially like there's situations where you get him as your third starting pitcher, you, you know, and if things break right, that could be a really excellent front three for you. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm softening here. Like I, I think I think the Logan the numbers the numbers projected injury wise for Logan Webb versus Carlos Rodon has made me at least more open to it. Similar injury risks ranked similarly to Carlos Rodon uh, for me are uh, in, in the model are you Darvish, uh, Pablo Lopez, Shane Bieber, and Jack Flaherty. Yeah, I'm there scared seems to be of a kind Lopez of a grouping too. there where it's like there's a top 20 where almost everything lines up. They look good. The numbers are good. They're in a good situation. And then the beginning of the 20s is everything looks good except for the health. <laughs> mm-hmm. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think it's a good launching point to the next guy. Zach Gallen goes in this range as well. And I think his injury last year was one that wasn't necessarily as scary as it seemed. It was a, a fracture in his right forearm. It was like a bone injury as opposed to soft tissue. So I think that changes things a little bit. But he also has had an elbow strain. So you know we have to account for that. We've talked about Gallon for a while on this show, looking at him as a guy whose arsenal and command gives him a path to be maybe a top 15, top 20 sort of pitcher. I think that at least at one point was in the range of outcomes. But I would say it's fair to look at him with heightened injury risk right now. Are you still in based on what we're seeing from him around the injuries to believe that there is that higher level for him to still unlock? I do. I think that it, it, it's going to come from trusting his breaking ball. Uh, one thing that he did... Uh, that wasn't great last year was when he was in hitters counts, he just basically threw the fastball and became predictable. And that's a, that's a, I think a fairly easy strategy fix. Brent Strom is coming from a situation where um, I think that, you know, they're going to preach, you know, throw the breaking ball a lot, you know, throw the breaking ball in some of those fastball counts. So they're not sitting on your fastball. In terms of stuff, his stuff was better last year than it was the year before. In both cases, it was really good. In terms of location, it was decent in both years. I think that just fell off a little bit last year, and I think that was due to the nagging injuries that he had. So, I don't. I I, I think I I see this one little thing about being predictable in fat in fastball counts, and I just can't imagine that that is going to be the thing that keeps him from being good. You know what I mean? It seems like. A pitching coach would be like, hey, uh, look at this thing that you were doing. It's a pretty small change. That's not, right. hey, change, yeah. change this grip, change your arm slot. You know, that, that's, not asking him to do any of that. Those things are a lot more significant. So I, I can and see that. And the injuries were weird injuries. They weren't necessarily to the arm in the same way you'd think. Like, yes, they were to his arm, but it had to do with him swinging. And it was like a radi- It was like a small fracture in the arm. And then I think there was some hamstring stuff. So I don't know. I, uh, I think that it's all solvable. I'll, I'll share the optimism on uh, Zach Gallen, but the uh, hidden SP1 of this group, and I say that jokingly in case my tone did not convey that, <laughs> Tyler Malley, who is an SP1 for me in a ongoing <laughs> draft you. and hold league, <laughs> not because I tier him as such, but because I waited and waited and waited and waited some more. And uh, I think part of what I like about him is that he's always had good command. He's been pretty durable to this point, and we've seen him add stuff over time a little bit of a velo increase nice deep arsenal the park is the biggest knock against him i think it's a fairly considerable one yeah because it it just brings more home run risk bad stuff can happen then molly's just this weird situation where you know i was the guy trumpeting him for forever right and i think we we loved him forever and now i find myself suddenly the low man on him and it's mostly because I'm not sure that team is going to give him any wins. And I don't think about that too hard, but I, it is part of it. And I don't think that park is going to do him any favors. 
So I'm super happy that he is a credible major league pitcher when some people thought he wasn't. Uh, I'm super happy that I have shares of him in most of my dynasty leagues. Uh, and at this point, I I don't I think I'll have a lot of shares of him in my redraft leagues because I I think that park means he's being overdrafted a little bit. Not necessarily saying that you did. I mean, it, well, projections are on your side on this one. So I, I love love to fight with you and projections simultaneously. Oh, that's. That's what I want. That's I'm okay disagreeing want. with projections. I'm okay disagreeing with you. But when <laughs> when it's two against one, then I really look like an idiot who's just on my own island. Like this, this could be like the Victor Robles scenario all over again, but on on the pitching side. But the reason I think it won't be is because we've seen an increase in K rate. We've seen good walk rates. If not, they're not great, but they're good enough. And I think the career home run to fly ball rate, fifteen point eight percent, is a bit lower than what we saw in 18 and 19 when the home runs were more of an issue. Mm-hmm. He had a stuff change since then. I mean, he, he really He's developed a He's a different a guy, and I, yeah. I wonder how much the pessimism within the projections is still snagging some of the 2019 issues that really shouldn't be problems for him at this point, given the changes that he's made. That's, that's my best case for him. Uh, but I think more in line with a, a, a good, durable sort of grade at this point, Maybe I overdrafted him. Maybe my expectations are too high. But I, I think there's a way to take a guy like that as your first, back him up with several other pitchers, and come away with this mix of tantalizing upside and risk and stability, and maybe, maybe, just maybe live to tell the tale. I think it includes going after someone like Nathan Evaldi, who straight up I do like better than Tyler Malley, by the way. I think Evaldi's getting the age. Same problem, though, man. Bad injury history discount on on Evaldi, too, but I think we're doing pretty well getting him where he's going right now, given what he does on a perning basis. But then people are listening are saying, wait a minute, you have faith in Nathan Evaldi being healthy and effective with his injury history, but you're not on board with Carlos Rodon and what he's done. Like these these guys are are, are similar, I think, in terms of their overall risk profile and, and what they bring to the table. And I think with Rodon, we saw a level that we haven't actually seen from Evaldi over a hundred plus innings in a season. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the 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 it's a park. I think it's a park situation at this point. I I, I see the growth within him that you can see in the strikeout rate and the changes in his pitch mix and uh, basically the improvement he's had uh, as a pitcher. Uh, I think the the park is is masking the fact that he's probably like a true talent 3-3 three, three ERA guy or you know maybe 3-5 uh, somewhere else. But in Boston, I think that the, the cap is sort of 3-7-5. That's where he's been the last two years. Um, you know, I wonder if he's out of that TJ honeymoon uh, at this point, um, and we also have that 2019 where he really didn't pitch that much. Um, so you know, and he and he ended up kind of being a reliever. Um, so yeah, I, how many inch, Like, what's the over under? I mean, I know that his projections vary from 150 to 180, basically. So projections are not a, a super help. But what is the over under for you on Eovaldi innings pitched this year? If you said make the line at the DVR sports book, I'd put the line at 149. Point and a half, two or point, yeah, point five, yeah. I guess, whatever. Over, yeah, over under one forty nine and a half. Let's get a definitive winner on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But in this range, how many pitchers, I mean, just looking at Snell, McClanahan, Rodon, Gallen, Malley, Ivaldi, other guys in this group, Framber Valdez, Chris Bassett, Shane Boz, Sean Manaya, Pablo Lopez, Luis Garcia. How many guys in this group would you say you'd confidently project for more innings than that? It's a short list. It's a good point. Just that's what I was going to say, too, is just generally we need to expect fewer innings from everybody that we draft. <laughs> you know, like there's going to be four guys that hit a 200 innings this year and there there might be 15 that hit 180. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just shifted down a little bit, and it means 150, relatively speaking, isn't as bad as it used to be. If that's where you think someone's going to land, it means 125 isn't as problematic as it used to be. So that's a change. I mean, it, it's I'm in on Evaldi. I, I think the thing that I'm struggling the most with with pitcher health, if you can't tell already by the the tone of this episode, is flipping the switch on when I trust someone who's dealt with a lot of injuries. I did not trust Evaldi going into last season. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of threshold in my head, and it's it's probably some kind of logical fallacy. I mean, there's the recency bias. The re- but it, but, it, maybe but it's, it's just recency bias. In, it's interesting in health, though, because it's like, is it recency bias or is it the fact that he's been healthy recently? <laughs> I mean, is there's some value to knowing? Like, I think it's meaningful to to the. I think the difference between the 180 plus that we got from Evaldi and the 130 that we got from Rodon, I think that's actually kind of significant. I I don't like you know reduction to absurdia. You know, like when you're when you're arguing, but if you in this case, like think about it. Like, what if he got hurt yesterday? Right? Like, then it would be more meaningful than if he got hurt three years ago. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so i know it's recency bias but it also there's meaning in there <laughs> recency bias when it comes to health seems a little less problematic than recency bias when it comes to performance Pro- doesn't production, it? production yeah I, I just think there's healthy today is certainly better than injured today you're right <laughs> therefore yeah, like, would you pay, healthy a yesterday is better than injured yesterday injured. Yeah, Carlos Rodon might be currently injured. Rodon came back and pitched, and he th- he threw ninety six. So that's part of why I, I drafted him. Ivaldi's been has been healthy recently. Uh, he has pitched more than one hundred and forty nine and a half innings three times in his career. One of them being last year. Pitchers and pitcher arm health is just strange, and I think we're in a time where a lot of things are changing about the way guys train, the way they can take care of their arms and possibly change their fortune. I guess maybe that's why I become more optimistic as we see uh, a larger volume of innings from someone who's had chronic injury issues. So well, we just, we just also uh, recorded a, the athletic baseball show, the three O show uh, with Brit. We've got a name where we're over on the other, if you're not watching us on YouTube, uh, you can catch that one on the athletic baseball show uh, stream there. And um, we talked about how there might be an added injury risk this year uh, due to the sticky stuff enforcement and due to the weird training methods that kind of mirror COVID in, in, the, in that you don't have an end target date as a starting pitcher. You don't know when you should be ready to throw five innings uh, right now because of the lockout. So I don't know if that, you know, it's hard to say. It's kind of, yes, you want to keep your nose clean and and pick guys who uh, to keep, you know, if everyone's going to be injured, then you want to, you don't want to pick a guy who has injury risk to begin with. However, at the same time, we don't have injury updates on all these guys. And you might be picking a guy that you think is super healthy and super great. And in two weeks, you know, they sign a deal and you find out that he's been dealing with elbow soreness all offseason. 
an example. We were talking about having a, a profile uh, across the board, a portfolio of pitchers whose injury risk makes sense. I think I pushed this too far in the weight on pitchers <laughs> league. It was Mally as my SP1 in the 10th, Luis uh-huh. Severino in the 11th, Clayton Ooh. Kershaw in the 12th. No! Jose Urquidy in the 14th. Oh my God, Urquidy has a 51-day projection. Noah Syndergaard in the 15th. Oh my goodness! John Means in the 16th. He has a high one too. And Luis Patino in the 17th. Oh my goodness. Hey, don't worry. I'm going to get a bunch of Reed Detmers and Mitch Whites and guys that have low injury risk later. I'm going to re- I'm going to rely on I'm going to go high skills, high injury risk with the early pitchers and I'm going to go crap skills with low injury risk late just to have people. Listen, I I'm in the middle of the draft and and some of these guys are freaking listening so this is a bad idea, but I will tell you this. There I know you're joking, but I do think that there is a little bit of strategy and it's this. Six starters will pitch. Six and seven starters will pitch. So there are some pit late pitchers that look like, why'd you draft that guy? He's not even in a rotation. That guy's that's not going to give you innings. That guy's not. He is going to give you innings if you can identify six starters. And I think you can. I mean, there's depth charts, but there's also just thinking about teams. Then you can actually be drafting safe innings late. That's what I'm hoping to do. <laughs> I don't know if I will execute it It's the six-starter plan. It's the, you know, if he's healthy, he's an ace. <laughs> and then I've got a bunch of six-starters. <laughs> back back in the beginning of this, when I was just going, you know, I do have one closer early, Ryan Presley, but it was all, the, all hitters otherwise. Someone said, well, what pitchers are still out there? And I screenshotted the draft room. That's just like the list of, of pitchers sorted by ADP. And the response, I could hear it in my head. It was just like, oh, <laughs> always yeah. always great to, to elicit those kinds of responses from people but uh, I passed on a few guys that I think in this range are a little safer injury wise Framber Valdez I think could be a workhorse I, in part because he's an extreme ground baller I think there's some you know slight worries in 2021 with the K rate coming down and the walk rate getting back up a bit from where it was in the shortened season. But even with that sort of correction for him, Fromber's walk rate was better in 2021 than it was in 18 and 19 as he was breaking into the league. So I do think there's some skills improvement there. And what we see in the projections is a guy that has a mid to high threes ERA, but a surprisingly bad whip to go along with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that's exactly who he's going to be. I think there's there's a little bit of movement there for me because I think I think his extreme ground ball tendencies give him a decent chance to beat his whip projection relative to where it should be with his walk rate being pretty high. There is a link uh, within uh the research that was conducted to create Sierra Skills Interactive ERA on Fangraphs there was a, a link that, that found that once you get over a 60% ground ball rate, uh, you're tied to lower batting averages and balls in play. Uh, that there's a that once you kind of uh, create such an extreme negative launch angle, um, that you you actually start to have to to carry lower BABIPs. And it's surprising to me to see how high his Sierra is now. Looking at it, it was 379 for last year. Um, and also to see that every projection system projection for projects him for over a 30, a 300 BABIP um, or, or equal. Last year, he had a 270 or 268 BABIP. Um, 
that seems believable, actually, given the the number one ground ball rate that's been put together in like the last 50. I think actually he had last year the number one ground ball rate for 100 innings per plus in the ground ball rate tracking era. I think because he's a lefty with the Astros, I just go back to Dallas Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel, yeah. What could peak Dallas Keuchel do for us? And, and how did he perform compared Always to some of those indicators? Yeah, the... 2016 was a strange year where he he beat his ERA by three quarters of a run, but the ratios were bad. I mean, up and down, up and down, I think is is part of it because a lot of balls in play, right? So the weird stuff happens with balls in play. He had a lot of sub 300 bats when he during his during his peak. Yeah, I, I think that is the surprising part of the projection for me is that they're they're angling back towards the 19 and 20. Babip as opposed to the more recent one, which given his profile, I think the 2021 Babip makes more sense as what he's likely to be in a typical year. So a uh, little surprised I passed on him just because I think he, along with some of the riskier pitchers I took, would have been a, a nice way to go. I think that was probably a mistake. Does Chris Bassett belong in this conversation as well? He's kind of aging like wine apparently uh, career best skills at age 32 could be on the move at some point maybe mid-season we talked about maybe the lack of trade value leaving him in oakland at least until we get to july and maybe the 2019 skills are, are more in line with the projections and i don't know does he just need to avoid bad home run luck to be profitable again this year because it seems like people aren't that excited about him yeah he has this uh ongoing kind of online f- no, not feud, but semi-feud with the analytics crowd that uh, doesn't like the ride or spin on his four seam. But you know, one thing that is kind of cool about him is that he releases uh, his four seam from such a low point. It's kind of a drop and drive guy that um, he actually, even though it doesn't say he has good ride, he actually has decent ride. It's a little bit like the Luke Weaver phenomenon where it's just hard to see his fastball because of the 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 release point and the ride combination um so despite not having great spin or great bride uh the stuff plus model says it's a pretty close to league average pitch um and that there is actually some upside in him if he were to consider throwing all the breaking balls more often um so that's an interesting thing to me because chris bassett could leave oakland and that would uh, affect a good deal of his value, I think, because it does suppress homers, and it's a good place for him to be. But he could also get a different pitching coach, and the different pitching coach could say, "Hey, let's let's do cutter, slider, curve. Let's do a lot of those, you know, and let's turn this four seamer into a little bit more of just a whiff pitch, um, although it's it's already kind of there. Um, let's let's play around the pitch mix more, and I could see this pitch mix." in a different park kind of leading to similar results in a weird way where things are regressing in different directions. Uh, and it still turns out with Chris Bassett, $10 pitcher at the end of the year. Um, and, uh, so I, I do, I do like him even with, I think there is some risk about what happens if he's traded out open. Yeah. I think if you get him into an organization that is good at making adjustments, he could end up being, the same guy or even a slightly better version of who he is right now. If he ended up on a team that doesn't change pitchers as much and it's a more hitter friendly environment, you could see the ratios take a pretty quick turn and, and some of the concerns maybe come to life. So uh, really curious to see where he eventually ends up. Yeah. I talked about it with him and, and told him, you know, 
this stuff plus model thinks your curveball is your best pitch. This is a curveball that goes like 72 miles an hour. You know, it's just a big old huge curveball. And he was like, I, you know, I just think that if I threw it more often, people would sit on it and it wouldn't be as, as good. But supposedly the stuff plus model is agnostic of that, you know? I mean, there is going to be some of, uh, uh, some effect. I, you know, uh, Cameron Grove does some really good research uh, at pitching underscore bot on Twitter. And he showed that the third time through the order thing is actually due to fam- familiarity with pitches. He can actually show that because stuff doesn't fall off, location doesn't fall off, and production does. So that sort of that tells you it's not the stuff that's falling off in the third time through the order. It's the, uh, it's the familiarity with the pitches. So I guess there is some sort of familiarity effect. Uh, however, he throws the curveball so infrequently uh, that I think that he could, he could get a lot more value out of that pitch by just throwing it more uh, and they still wouldn't sit on it. I mean, I think you have to throw something like 40% of the time before people are sitting on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you, like if you throw something 15, 20% of the time, then like, yeah, they'll think about it a little bit, but sitting on it, be gambling pretty, it had to be a pretty bad pitch for when you, when you make a mistake with it, you see four pitches on average, right? So if I'm going to say, I'm going to sit here and wait for a curveball and and you throw it 15% of the time, I'm going to need two plate appearances before I might see that curveball. Right, there's only a 50% <laughs> chance you're going to see one within any one of those plate appearances. Yeah. So, uh, I think he could, I think, uh, yeah, Chris Bassett versus analytics. Uh, I think that a more analytically minded pitching coach could actually get a little bit more out of Chris Bassett's on you know, uh, entourage, entourage of pitches. <laughs> and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's bring it back to me doing stupid things in drafts because that's a fun oh my God. thing to, to I get don't excited know about. I put this guy. I love him so much. Shane Boz, I think. So <laughs> I think part of the reason we agree a lot is because we spend a lot of time talking about these things and I'm looking at the model and adding the model that you have into my own analysis. So then if it confirms something that I already believe, it just doubles down. Like, I'm, oh, hey, I. Now I'm now I'm really confident in this thing. <laughs> We're talking about a really limited sample. 13 and a third innings in the regular season last year from Shane Boz. And the results everywhere were, were outstanding. And there's an obvious workload limitation coming. The, if you add up all the innings from all the levels, I, I don't know how you come up with a 2022 season in which... Shane Boz gives us more than what 150 in the regular season seems like an absolute ceiling, doesn't it? Like you can't even yeah. you can't see a scenario where they would let him the, the go over more than under that. on him is probably like 120 because he like all combined last year wasn't he at like 90 or something? 
Plus, uh, I think some some Olympic innings too, right? We looked it up. It's two. <laughs> okay, so not much there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so under a hundred innings across all levels last year. So I, I, the over under for me, and I, and you know, Alex Anthopoulos once famously said, "We just add twenty percent, and we only do it because that's what people do." Um, so the over under for me is one hundred and twenty, and I can't tell you why, other than that's what people do. <laughs> and and you know, it's all very likely that Tampa will be in the hunt for the postseason again, and that they could want to manage it so that they have Boz in the postseason, which would mean that even if he had 120 innings in them, you might only get 100 in the regular season. Or if they thought he could do to 150, like you're still going to save some of those innings for late. Like it, yeah. Wherever that number is, they have to plan on him being ready to go in October. So they have to manage him in a way that makes him really difficult. So There have been some wild swings for me in ranking him because in terms of stuff plus uh i don't have anybody higher than him other than Degrom, burns and cole jeez <laughs> Wee! so uh yeah i would love to uh i'd love to put it well there's there's another name. I'm going to have to say that name out loud. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would love to put, like, right now, I just, because we were all excited and it's fun and stuff, I put him uh, 30. But that's ridiculous, isn't it? You're going to get him a good bit having him there because I've got him there and I end up with him a lot. And yeah. I I think I just got to be careful not to have him everywhere. Do you like a pitcher like this better in a league where you have to shuttle him in and out of the lineup and, and basically burn at one of seven bench spots or do you like him better in a league packed with attrition where the quality of 100 or 120 innings is great like a draft and hold or an AL only league it's almost like this weird thing where a deeper league makes me more comfortable with a guy like this even though he's easier to replace in a shallow mixed league Any anybody any replacement levels higher in a shallow mixed league I think it's that the confidence of what you get on a perning basis is so high. I want to have him in leagues where the threshold of what you need per spot is lower. Mm. Again, probably tripping over my own feet logically, but that's how my silly brain works. The only thing that uh, that uh, bothers me is that, you know, I'm playing more and more NFUC and, and those you have like a, what is that, a five-man bench? Or seven? Seven. You only got seven, seven bench, bench spots. So then you just know that Boz is going to be in and out of one of those spots. So you kind of just dedicated a spot on the roster in the starting roster and in the bench. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of, it's almost like he's taking up two spots. Well, yeah, because you have to, you have to expect either an early season demotion so they can just, you know, monitor his innings Long or bullpen break. or just the, this. We've gone through this with so many players before. It changes a little bit of, uh, of what you can do with the rest of your roster. It just forces you to plan a little bit differently. I think he might be worth it, again, in the sense of where he goes and, and the trouble could actually pay off. But I just think you you could put yourself in a little bit more of a roster crunch than you realize when you're turning to a pitcher whose season shape is going to be Strange. a little bit unusual the way Boz's season shape will probably be this year. I have utmost confidence in his in his abilities though so and, and i do kind of because 
I think that our injury projections are not as good as our our projections, which are not as good as they are for bats. You know what I mean? Our injury projections are worse than our pitcher projections, which are worse than our batter projections. Uh, and that all leads me to this uh, generally just wanting to draft talent when it comes to pitching and figure the rest out later. It does get me into trouble sometimes, like taking Carlos Rodon and so on and so forth. Yeah. That's that's how I ended up with a big pile of injured guys in, in that uh, draft <laughs> champions league. So I, I think I'm like reluctantly in on Boz, but just n- not without the understanding of how it does impact some of the things you can do on the roster in leagues with really tight benches. Uh, let's talk about Shamanaya for a minute. I know your your model, at least for a little while, was not particularly high on him. There was injury risk from his time as a prospect and his early career that kind of lingered there too. Have you moved on Sean Mania a little bit compared to where you were a year or two ago? The model moved. I don't know if it was uh, finding some seam shifted wake or something, <laughs> uh, but uh, he's now got a 103 stuff and a 103 location. Um, that's decent, man. What's it, the comps like in his range that have a good location and good stuff, but not elite of either. Um, you know, uh, somebody like John Means, uh, Marcus Stroman, uh, Luis Garcia, Frankie Montas, even like, you know, is, is like profiles so much. Gossman, Barrios. I think he's kind of like a Barrios, you know, just I know that there's a uh, there's a term on another podcast, the Toby from the, the Toby. pitcher's list. I love that. Uh, the, the background on that, of course, the the office, if you watch the U.S. version of the office, Toby Flenderson, the HR foil to Michael Scott's uh, shenanigans. <laughs> he, you know, Toby's a little dry. Um, so Nick has used the, the Toby label for the kind of boring pitchers that just get it done because that describes Toby Flenderson. But also kind of replaceable somehow. He did get replaced on the show. Um, uh, and, uh, and I, I can see it. I, cause I, I wouldn't say that I, we kind of talked about this when we talked about Barrios, but I could see with Barrios and Mania, just, I don't see another level. I don't think that you're buying upside. Um, and in fact, I think that, uh, you're kind of buying floor and, you know, in some cases, like we're talking about it, it lets you tread water, get good innings, uh, and, uh, and allow you to take, uh, take bigger risks later. I think, you know, if that's actually the comp, if if it really is just the, another kind of bundle similar to Jose Barrios, then Manaya is pretty undervalued. He'd be the kind of guy that if you pulled the wait for pitching approach, you'd, you'd definitely want to seek him out. And he may even bump him up around. I'm looking at the auction calculator, running the bat for a 15-team league, looking at the starting pitchers. Manaya comes out 14th in dollar value with that setting. I mean, that's that's not even cl- it's way above where he's going in terms of his ADP. So, yeah, he projects to have more value than Lance Lynn. I don't like Lance Lynn. So, you know, <laughs> not personally, Lance Lynn seems okay. Like from a, I just don't like where people well, draft. Yeah, Lance he Lynn. also, yeah, he projects to have more value than a lot of people that are drafted ahead of him. Trevor Rogers, uh, you know, uh, you Darvish, uh, Max Freed, uh, you know. So I suspect we'll see some upward movement on Manaya, just given that people use that tool and then they make their decisions. They reach form a little earlier and then. 
a month passes and he's going 20 or 25 picks earlier than he's going right now. So probably better to get in now if you are a Sean Manaya fan. It is interesting that the model changed on him. Uh, two more guys in this group. It's going to be a long episode, but you know what? It's <laughs> pitching. What can you do? Pablo Lopez, lots of shoulder trouble. Uh, I kind of said this under my breath a little we earlier. talked about a lot in the last one. He's just I good pitcher, bad health track record where I've been I've been passing for other pitchers in this range. Like the setup, I think it's a great place to pitch. If he's healthy for 180 innings, he's probably going to exceed expectations, but I'm I'm not counting on that kind of workload from him. Yeah, yeah. Uh and sneaky, you know, by the model, sneaky average um stuff too. Um so. That's what that's that's the thing. Okay, so if if we had above average stuff, like clearly above average stuff and the injury risk that he had, then it would make some sense to me at this price. But it's more like, okay, if he's healthy, he's average-ish, and because of the park, everything plays up a little better than that. Why take the risk there when you could take it on maybe someone like Clayton Kershaw, who's in the next group, right? We know when Kershaw's out there on a per inning basis, like who do you have more confidence in on a per inning basis, Kershaw or Pablo Lopez? Like hands down, everyone listening would probably say, well, it's Kershaw. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the argument is, well, maybe his arm is is messed up and he's not going to pitch this year. That is in the range of outcomes for sure. But it's it's not that much more likely than Pablo Lopez missing a bunch of time. Not that much more likely, even though there's a more recent problem with Kershaw at our disposal yeah yeah uh it's uh it's made it easier for me to uh to pass on him the just the combination of the stuff and the injury risk so and you know and for what it's worth uh I think there's a trade risk with all of the Marlins pitchers and if you think of if you kind of go through each of the pitchers Pablo Lopez is the easiest one to trade um, and then all of a sudden you don't add, you know, the, one of the best park factors in baseball to this package. And it looks a little bit worse too. And I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen in the like two weeks before the season starts. Uh, but there's an outside shot. It could. The guy that I like who goes right next to Pablo Lopez is Luis Garcia. Uh, had some issues the third time through the order to put it mildly 657 ERA in that split last season. Second half skills took a slight dip, but do you think his late season fade was really just fatigue given how much his workload was increased? I do believe that's what it was. Uh, I think that you saw it a little bit in the playoffs. Remember, he had a really up and down uh, road in the playoffs where you know he just got battered at, at 92, 93, and then he came back the next time with throwing 95 and you know had a good game. Um, I, I think uh, in terms of the skills that are there, yes, he was one of the bigger losers in Stuff Plus uh, in the second half. He went from 104.3 uh, to 101. Uh, but even in that reduced state, he's 101, above average stuff, large arsenal, decent command, uh, okay home park, low injury risk. I like him. Career best walk rate at any stop last season in Houston as well, also had a career worst home run rate. But uh, it's it's easy for me to tell myself a story that Luis Garcia's 
deterioration in stuff over the course of the season was more fatigue related. When you look at his workload in 2019, he had 108 and two thirds innings that year. He was at 155 and a third in the regular season in 2021. I know there's the 2020. What did he do? You know, throwing on his own off season, like all that stuff is it's it's hard to know. Um, but I I could very easily convince myself that yeah he was just worn down in August and September and that was a big part of of why things weren't looking as good. Moving on to the 150 to 200 range, this group, I'll run through the names, includes Erod, Ian Anderson, Logan Gilbert, Michael Kopech, Lance McCullers Jr., Ranger Suarez, Clayton Kershaw, Sonny Gray, Luis Severino, Marcus Stroman, Tarek Skubal, and Mike Clevenger. This is a fun group of pitchers. This is a group of pitchers that you can dream on or that have been really good before. What what do you like about this cluster of pitchers? I mean, I, I think... It's really kind of choose your own adventure. What do you need at this point? Do you need ceiling? Do you need floor? Do you need to take a chance on on uh, an unknown that could actually be really good? That's kind of where I think Ranger Suarez falls. I think that's actually where Kopech falls, even though the stuff model loved him working mostly out of the pen because you're wondering how well does the arsenal hold up? How well does the command hold up if he's a full-time starter this year? Yeah, it's a it's definitely one that I'm shopping in. Um in that uh, in that in that league where I have Rodon as my number two, I got Logan Gilbert as my number three. Uh, if I'm going to make a case for Logan Gilbert, it's that he has a plus fastball. Uh, the changeup developed and got better over the course of the season. And though the curveball is bad, actually, um, there could be a little bit of a change uh, in philosophy. Maybe throwing more sliders, fewer curveballs. Um, you know, he could end up being just a fastball slider guy and that could be better than where he was in his rookie season. But I just see uh, a lot of hope. It's very, very few people actually have like a 103 stuff plus uh, fastball. He has a, he has the prototypical modern fastball ride, velo, and command. And I just think that's a really good place to start. I know the secondaries are kind of in and out, but... You know, he's working with the major league pitching coach now. Uh, he's he's seeing what works against major league hitters. He's developing those things over time. And um, I think the floor is is pretty decent, which is I think that they're going to leave him in the big leagues for most of the season. Even if he, you know, gives me a 4-2 ERA, um, you know, most of the season, I don't think he's an injury risk or an innings risk. Um, he could give me a lot of strikeouts uh, and uh, – there's always uh, the ability to do better than that. And that's something I'm looking for in this group because, uh, you know, somebody like Ranger Suarez, I just, I feel like he, he pitched to the, the top of his abilities. And I think you're, you're buying what, you know, what he's already done and not what he can do in the future. And uh, I want to stay away from that in this tier because um, that's for later. You know what I mean? It's, you know, there are boring guys later. You know, you know, I, I'm looking ahead a little bit, but like, you know, there's Adam Wainwrights later. <laughs> there's Anthony Discafani's later. I don't need to have Ranger Suarez here. I think the the leaderboard where Ranger Suarez really gets my attention is the pitch run value leaderboard that Savant has. The the sinker that Ranger Suarez was throwing last year had a minus twenty two run value. It's good, very good. That's up there with Corbin Burns' cutter. That's there with Robbie Ray's four-seamer. That's there with Kevin Gossman's splitter, which was minus 23. 
Carlos Rodon's four-seamer. Was that a minus 26? That was the, the best pitch in terms of run value in the big leagues last year. Oh, and there's Adrian Hauser's sinker in there at minus 23. There's there's a guy we don't talk about in a loaded rotation who is doing something that works right now. If I'm going to buy out of these sinkers, though, I'm buying Hauser's, man. Suarez's sinker shows up as below average by Stuff Plus, and it was all location. Like, he located it really well, but that's not something that's super sticky year to year. So, with yeah, with Ranger Suarez, that was the question I had, is, like, he had these extraordinary results with that sinker. I was going to ask, is it an extraordinary pitch? Does it actually have those characteristics? And it sounds like the answer is is no, and it really doesn't. But then the subsequent question is, what else can he do? Because he relied so heavily on two pitches last year. If he has a third pitch that actually looks pretty good, if he has something else he can add, there might be a way for him to be effective a different way. That's a good point. Uh, The slider does rate as above average by Stuff Plus, but he couldn't locate it very well. And location is really big for the slider, so... Uh, maybe if he spends the offseason throwing a bunch of sliders, uh, he comes back and he's and he's he's you know uh, showing that pitch more prominently. That could be part of like this sort of the Chris Bassett argument, where it's like things could change and they could stay the same, you know. Um, but uh, Hauser sinker, for example, uh, has 105 raw stuff um, and uh, and good location as well. Um, it just rates a little better than than uh, Suarez's and. If I'm going to bet on either, I'm going to bet on, you know, Hauser's Hauser sinker. Um, although uh, now that I'm looking at Hauser, Ranger Suarez's changeup and slider uh, rate better than anything that Hauser throws. Yeah, Hauser doesn't have much else. That, that's the, <laughs> that's the problem. Ranger does, and I, I think it's those secondaries that I'm most curious about. You know, with Ranger, it's like is it? They're decent. He, he could he could he could he could he could show the slider more next year and maybe be maybe stave off some of that regression. I think what it comes down to for me, it's something we've talked about with other position previews. I look at so many other guys in this range and I, I see more things that I like. I think the other thing with Suarez that I don't like, I don't like Philly pitchers. I don't like having to deal with home starts in, in that mm. park. It's one of the toughest places to pitch too. So I think that's just the uphill battle that leads me other directions. Like in this he actually group. reminds me a little bit of Eduardo Rodriguez, right? Where mm. it's more about uh, command of multiple pitches and and one good out pitch. Except that Eduardo Rodriguez is going to call Comerica home. <laughs> that's huge. That's huge though, because like for his career, Eduardo Rodriguez has a road ERA. It's a quarter run lower than his home mark. Usually, you have an advantage pitching at home because you get more calls at home. But leaving Fenway as a lefty just seems like a good thing. Even if skills-wise, if Eduardo Rodriguez hasn't changed at all, and even what we saw at the end of the season isn't necessarily who he is going forward, the same old Erod is slightly better in Comerica Park just automatically because park factors are more in his favor. Yeah, yeah. If I'm going to make uh, an impassioned plea for someone that I think is both boring and has upside, which is a kind of a, a rare thing, uh, to have in this in this this tier, as you heard from sort of you have the Clevenger Kershaw. All these guys were, you know, they're they're exciting. Kopech, they're exciting, but the downside risk is fairly considerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you have some boring guys like Rodriguez and Suarez. Those are fun. Here's a guy who stands in the middle that seems that I don't think anybody talks about his upside. Marcus Stroman. 
Hmm. So everyone, I think, puts Marcus Stroman in the boring category, which makes sense. You know, he doesn't have as many strikeouts as you like. Seems like a ground ball guy. He's a sinker guy. Uh, maybe he's never going to have uh, the big fastball rate that would, you know, launch him into the next tier, um, yada, yada, yada. He has uh, four above average pitches by Stuff Plus. And he has four above average pitches by Location Plus. So he can locate four pitches and he has four pitches for action. There is hidden within that a lot of upside. He could throw the cutter more often. He could throw the slider more often. He doesn't. He threw 20 curveballs last year. The, the curveball had 115 stuff plus. Hmm. Now, I didn't locate it that well, but what if he threw 100 curveballs? What if he threw 400 curveballs next year? You know what I mean? Like there, he in the number of pitches he has that are above average by stuff and location, he has multiple plans of attack, I think, and ways of possibly improving that people, I think, are giving him short shrift on. You know, the team that he gets next could could say, let's go for strikeouts. You know, let's throw more breaking balls. Yeah, that could be a, a change the Cubs uh, want him to make. And I think the, the ratio should be good. There'll be a lot of cold Wrigley days early in the season. I think he'll start off well. Yeah, it's interesting that he's he's been such a, a frustrating pitcher from a whip perspective for most of his career. Well, and that's, I think, probably some of why Framber Valdez uh, ended up with the high whip in the projection mm-hmm. is that I, I think if you're not if you're not wipe, if you're not striking guys out, then you're allowing balls in play. Then, you know, the assumption is that your whip isn't going to be great. Yeah, I think the the depth of the arsenal had, though. He's had good whip seasons. You know, it's kind of he's kind of basically had as many good whip seasons as bad whip seasons. Yeah, and I do think 2018 that was an injury season too. Like that that mess just kind of jumps off the page because it was so bad. If you look through that, you see low threes ERAs three of the last four seasons, and a 130 whip isn't going to ruin you. If you get volume, you can deal with a slightly lower K rate. And the K rate's been ticking up. I mean, the swinging strike rate was as high as it ever was last season with the Mets. So we're talking about a guy that's closer to that low 20% K rate than the the high teens. The control is good. If you want innings, he's probably going to give you innings. Well, yeah, you said earlier, I think three or four pitchers you expect to get to 200 innings. I think Strowman would actually be a pretty good bet if you were going to make a ridiculous bet on anyone getting to 200 innings. He'd be uh, as good of a choice as any 32 starts or more in three out of a, or four out of the last five seasons. Like he's, he takes the ball every fifth day and, and pitches Steamer well. Steamer projected innings. Zach Wheeler, Sandy Alcantara, the only ones projected 200 plus. Garrett Cole, Walker Bueller, and Stroman is in the top 10, 15. He's yeah. right there. Balances out uh, more risky groups of pitchers, I think, pretty well. I think that's the the other key. But even if you don't take a lot of risk, there's there's value where he's going right now. So definitely Some other like guys him. we've talked about today that are in this, this sort of top twenty, top twenty five in innings. Kind of interesting considering what we've been saying about innings um, are uh, Chris Bassett, Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, I think those are, are are some interesting names, and Framber Valdez. Kind of so. thought he might do well in, in terms of an innings projection, so that that definitely checks out. I'm surprised Sonny Gray's not in there. One name that should make you think twice about everything I just said is Shane Bieber is projected for the sixth most innings in baseball next year. So, 
Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Sub Scapularis. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. goes in this range. Is that his new nickname? Sub Scapularis Lance McCullers? No, that's <laughs> I just just thinking about the Bieber shoulder. McCullers Jr. Really has a has a middle of the road injury uh, day uh, projection. That's surprising to me. The same as Alec Manoa and Zach Gallen. That, that's one of those. I, I I don't. That doesn't sit right. Seems weird. Again, I don't want to fight with the models. I don't want to fight with the numbers. I'm not <laughs> not turning into Jeff that Zimmerman kind of villain. To his face, did you hate him? You should. I would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of him beating me in fantasy leagues every year. Yeah. Well, in my head, uh, I actually have McCullers right next to Blake Snell, and I think that they are super comparable. They both had pitch mix changes last year. Uh, there's b- reasons to love them both. They're both uh, injury risk, more injury risk, I think, than the models are capturing. So uh, I like both those guys. It's interesting to me that McCullers goes 40 pitches after Snell when I think that they're pretty much the same guy. Are you taking flyers? Especially with NLDH. Yeah. In this range, are, are you taking, we'll call them health-related flyers, on the likes of Kershaw or Severino or Clevenger. Noah Syndergaard goes a little later for some reason. I kind of lump these guys together because they've been good when healthy. I've passed on these guys and and done some Noah. Um, it's just, uh, I think, it, I don't know if it's because I usually have taken somebody like Rodon before and been like, I, I need. But also, uh, there's like I said, with Stroman, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert, uh, there are pitchers in this category that don't have the same injury risk and have a little bit of, of possibility of, of upside too, you know? I want to, st- I, w- I really, really want to take, and I know that's not going to happen for me with Luis Severino and Mike Clevenger. I really want to take those up against more flyers, more like prospect types. You know what I mean? I re- that's, that's where it's like 50 50, you know? That's where I want to take them. Yeah, they just don't fall far enough for that to really be the decision. It ends up being against these these workhorse veteran types that could be really good from a durability standpoint. So it's just such a, so it's an obvious like, it's like a tug of war. You know what it is? It's a great time to double tap. Like, could I get, could I do Eduardo Rodriguez plus Kate and Kershaw in a, around a turn? That'd be, yeah. Do that, you want those? Do you want, like one from each? <laughs> well, do you want like, like one injury risk, one workload guy, two injury risk guys in this range or, or zero injury risk guys in this range? I think that's, there's a few ways to go and maybe it just depends on what you've done earlier. If you, if you're in Rodon earlier, you're probably not stacking more injury risk on top of that. You've, you've taken on a significant amount of injury risk already. And if you're going to take on more, it's later than this, even though there could be some, some value here. Yeah. I, and it's the, they're not all the same either because Kershaw uh, versus Severino and Clevenger like Kershaw is kind of where Clevenger was when before he had the surgery when they were like oh he's hurt is he going to come back he's going to try and come back you know what I mean Severino and Clevenger kind of are like at least they've had the surgery and they've pitched a little and now they're tra- now they're like trying to do a full season it's a little different I was looking for evidence that Kershaw was throwing and I couldn't find any. The best I could find was going into the Super Bowl. There was an interview. He was on the Dan Patrick show because, of course, he went to high school with Matthew Stafford and that's the only possible. Oh, yeah. He was all over the Super Bowl. Right. So that's that's the link, of course. But but they didn't ask him who's throwing. (laughs) Ask him some hard hitting questions, man. (laughs) There was a question about the lockout 
And his response was saying, you know, I hope spring training starts on time. And within that, he was again, he was not asked about his own health. He said, I am preparing for an on time start. Like the, uh. the, the way he said it, it was unprompted. And unless he was throwing some just in, incredible smoke out there to make it seem like I'm fine, come sign me. I don't I just he doesn't. Does that seem like Clayton Kershaw? Now, now I'm just playing stupid media oh. head games. But this is all we've got, man. It's the crumbs. That, you know? yeah, the crumbs. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to find meaning in something that has probably none. It's probably just as simple as Kershaw's got one of those joke calendar things on his desk, and it says it's February, and in his brain, he's like, I should be at spring training right now. And he's not even thinking about no, why that might be different. There's a, The other thing is, like, he could just be preparing and, you know, mostly throwing at sort of 60 to 80% you know, uh, you know, intent and what happens when he ramps up to a hundred because Fair. we're, we're in that sort of platelet, you know, also the place where all those angels were, where Garrett Richards and Andrew Haney and all them, they each got like platelet infusion trying to avoid TJ. And I think almost all of them got it. Yeah. So I guess here's here's the stance on Kershaw. This is an exercise in risk reward. This is the possibility of, of taking a absolute zero because if he ramps up and feels like crap and needs surgery, yeah, you, you lose. If he ramps up, pitches a little, gets smashed and has surgery, he did damage on the way out the door. That's Ooh. not good either. <laughs> yeah, right. But worse than zero. He's by the same projections in the auction calculator that we were talking about earlier, the bat looking at just what he's supposed to do if he's if he is out there oh god yeah he's 11th in projection and he's drafted (laughs) as like the 50th pitcher off the board and it's a little bit like the carlos rodan conversation we had earlier in the pod where you say okay if he were healthy he'd be going a lot earlier maybe the discount we're getting right now is an overcorrection, and there are some circumstances in which it makes a lot of sense to take that chance on kershaw that's why he's on uh, you know, team Wiley Coyote, as I like to call it, that I'm, that I'm building, where it's like, hey, I, I might I might luck into an ace for 150 or 160 innings here. If I take a zero, eh, it's OK. I'll draft a little more pitching. The way this team is built with so much hitting. Other people in that range are taking zeros. They just they don't, they don't know. it. <laughs> yes. Like it's just it, it, it's trying to get a better sense of the amount of risk that we're actually taking. That is a huge part of this conversation. I, I think it's an open question. It, I don't have I don't have the answer. I don't have some kind of, uh, of, of of path through this that is rooted in absolutes. It's more just saying if we're willing to take a chance on Bobby Wee Michael Jr. Kopech. Well, I, I was just thinking about it like from a, oh, a, a general segment. risk profile side, like um, Bobby Witt Jr. goes in the top 75 in a lot of drafts overall. Mm hmm. I don't want to be the anti-Bobby Witt Jr. guy. Just think about it from the what we know about him as a player, the types of adjustments it's going to take for him to, to be as good as he needs to be to return value in that spot. Think about that versus Clayton Kershaw 100 picks later, where if we have a healthy-ish Kershaw at this price, the payoff is huge. If we have just a, a healthy Bobby Witt Jr. who has to go through all the adjustments that young players have to go through, he could be healthy and still not give you what you need to return value at that spot. And I realize you take him because there's a possibility that he's a first or second rounder next year. I get that. But we've seen Kershaw return that kind of value on a perning basis so many times that I don't want to completely turn away from the possibility that he could just do it again at a very discounted price. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I do think that um, 
there is a there is a moment where it becomes clear to me uh, what I want: Anthony Discafani or Clayton Kershaw. Right. I want Clayton Kershaw easily. Yeah, Anthony Discafani is projected for zero dollars. <laughs> He's like basically replacement level, so you think you could do that somewhere else but later. let's just do this with the with the guys that he's going the, the would you rather in the group is ranger suarez no, that's or not that kershaw. far dude anthony zafani is 200 kershaw's right. oh, 183 no, no, kershaw can slide a little but let's just say he's let's just say you're, you're making this choice he's a little Mally. sooner you could you could do that but he's that's probably about like 40 or 50 pit gap there kopech kopech is the same sort of kopech or kershaw for this year only kershaw okay mccullers or kershaw for this year Mm, the colors. Okay, it's fine. Ranger Suarez or Kershaw? No, Kershaw. Oh, you, you went back, so you're Kershaw over McCullers too? No. Okay, Suarez. So you're saying no, Kershaw, Kershaw over, over Suarez. Suarez? Yeah. Easy. Sonny Gray versus Kershaw. Kershaw. And Luis Severino versus Kershaw. I was just saying that Sever- Kershaw. So he's at least slightly undervalued right now. If if you're taking him consistently over it's these possible pitchers, I could take him. Yeah. And, and again, it probably comes back to things like we talked about with Boz, or even maybe this applies to Rodon too. It changes a little bit about what you're doing with the rest of your staff. Maybe it creates a roster crunch, holding Kershaw when he's hurt. If he's hurt, you're not going to cut him unless he's hurt badly. So you're playing short. If you're in leagues with small benches, you do have to account for that. But we've seen him do exceptionally well enough times, even with back injuries and things he's dealt with recently, where I think the risk is worth the reward where Kershaw is going right now, where you draw that line based on the limited information we have right now, that gets tricky. You start pushing them up into the, the Rodon, like Rodon versus Kershaw. You're taking Rodon every time based on what we know right now. Right. Mm-hmm. So at that level, it starts to become a, a little bit more of a, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. That's two or three rounds earlier than he typically goes. So yeah, like if I push him any further in my rankings, he starts hitting Nathan Evaldi and Blake Snell and, Sean Manaya, guys who I've just like, I have way more uh, uh, trust in their ability for innings, and I, d- I don't mind their their quality of innings either. All right. We covered a lot of ground. I rambled a lot more than usual, so my apologies for that. I hope it was enjoyable rambling nonetheless. We do have a great deal. If you're still listening to this podcast, almost 83 minutes in, <laughs> uh, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels, $1 a month for the first six months. So if you've been on the fence about subscribing for a long time and you're waiting for the really good deal to come around, well, it's it's here. So theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Uh, Eno's pitcher rankings drop on Friday. So if you don't have a subscription, this would be a great time to get in the draft kit. Not too far behind. Get that coming up here in the next couple of weeks on Twitter. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.